Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni. And at what point are we going to stop introducing ourselves at the beginning of this podcast? When we're internationally famous and known by only our first names, like Cher. So when we're Joe Rogan famous. Even Joe Rogan has, I guess Joe is a pretty generic name. Common name. Yeah. It's like, are you talking about Joe Biden? Like what Joe are you talking about? Are we going to have to fuse our names or is it like Lauren and Chelsea? Or Chelsea and Lauren? Le Chelsea? Le Chelsea? That's not good, though. Chaloran is better. Until we're known as Chaloran, we will be introducing ourselves. <laughs> you know what? We, we don't have time for this intro banter. No, we, we don't have time for this stupid banter. <laughs> we have so much in just like that shit to talk about. True. We're truly like brimming with this shit because this week and just like that finally started filming in New York. Do you think Michael Patrick King knew that we release our episodes on Friday and purposely released this still after we had recorded? Yeah, I'm sure he's very, very aware of our, our release schedule. And um, I mean, we got some intel that he did introduce our podcast to the writer's room. Yeah, yeah. We know you're, we know he's listened to at least one episode. Hi, Dad. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Love you, MPK. Always. So last week... On Friday, right? Mm-hmm. The three lead actresses cross-posted the first photo of themselves in character. Miranda is wearing pants again. Hallelujah. Thank God. Carrie was in a quirky but not totally insane outfit that was anchored by a very beautiful vintage Norma Kamali corset skirt. And Charlotte looks like Monica Bellucci now. Yeah, Charlotte's wearing black. When did this start? I think I'm not totally surprised because they had to evolve her away from that like hyper preppy pastel sorority girl Nantucket vibe. That looks weird in your 50s. And yeah, I think everything else was kind of in line with what I expected. It's like a little toned down, but like the fashion's still there. To be fair, it's the first episode. Yeah, and this one image like cannot possibly encapsulate the look and the feel of the costumes for the entire series. It's just not possible. And we haven't really spoken or seen each other this week, but what was your reaction when you saw Charlotte walking around with a bulldog? I died. Well, first I was like, is that me and Francis Keto like walking from the Hollywood dog park to high tops? Like what? For those who don't know, which I guess, why would you? Why would you? Uh, Chelsea has an English bulldog. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people in the comments when we posted this photo of Charlotte with the bulldog, by the way, the outfit she was wearing was very like Mediterranean, like French Riviera vibes. I don't know how else to describe it. But the skirt was Balenciaga, which was surprising. Yeah, this felt more like consistent with how they were dressed in the movies. I think, than any yeah. other look that we saw. Like, the, in terms of, like, there's a lot of color. A lot of the other outfits we've seen this week were more neutral. But Charlotte is still going to Charlotte, and she's got Burberry dog accessories. Yeah, she has a little Burberry pouch for her poo bags. But a lot of people in the comments were, like, pretty rude about the bulldog. Did you notice that? You're not here for bulldog slander. No, well, they were like, Charlotte would never have this dog, blah, blah, blah. And that's not true. Also, as if Michael Patrick King and the writing team hasn't thought about this. It's not a random choice. Yeah. Well, okay, look. I think it's very possible that this dog was Harry's idea. Absolutely. 
because the same thing basically happened to me. Like I was a cat person and my wife loves English bulldogs. So she talked me into it and now I'm obsessed with the bulldog and that's just kind of what happens. But also bulldogs are fashionable dogs. I mean, I feel like they used to be like the kind of dog you would associate with a MAGA family of eight. Well, I mean, bulldogs are... uh English bulldogs are chic in, again, a Balenciaga way of like, they're not attractive, but they are attractive. Exactly. They're they're ugly hot, but they're also like hype beasts love them. I feel like a lot of influencers have them now. Like it is kind of a fashiony dog, whether you like it or not. So you're saying Charlotte's a hype beast. <laughs> I'm just saying Charlotte has excellent taste in dogs. And uh, I'm very excited for this this plot line. But beyond Charlotte's look, what else did we see from her? We saw one other outfit that was like a pink skirt and a white it's top, a or is it the white, other way around? It's the other way around. It's a white Alexander McQueen sort of puffy skirt and then this bright pink poofed top. Yeah. That's all I got, guys. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to say about this one. I feel like that outfit was pretty neutral, but again, like pretty consistent with the vibe of the movies. Yeah, and then yesterday she was seen in the outfit from the the press photo. So I think they just sort of jammed her in that press photo. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. They were like, we need the people to know that Charlotte's different. She's dressing like Monica Bellucci now. Um, <laughs> but I'm not in this scene, guys. Whatever, just come down. <laughs> what did you think of Miranda's outfits that we've seen so far? I mean, did we will this into existence or... What, her wearing pants? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good to see Miranda back in pants for sure. And I know that I know that this first look isn't again representative of her costumes throughout the entire thing, but I would love to see her in pants and a flat shoe again. You know what I mean? Cuz in this outfit she's wearing like point toe like pumps or something like that, which sort of gives an androgynous outfit a bit of a different vibe. It's like you could be a power lesbian or you could be like a very rich, chic, conservative woman. What did you think about the photo? So she's walking the set in a Dries Van Noten dress, but she also has a Bernie Sanders bag. Do you think that's Cynthia Nixon going to set with a book or do you think that's Miranda? <laughs> I mean, I think it's probably <laughs> Cynthia. I, I uh, like the idea that it's Miranda. I think that would be great. And someone in our comments for that photo was like, could this be how Samantha left the group? Like she went really MAGA and and everyone else kind of disowned her. But I love the idea of, of Miranda as a Bernie bro. It's cute. Didn't we posit in a in our idea for a potential third film that Samantha, this was around 2017 when Trump was still president, that Samantha inadvertently becomes Trump's press secretary? I mean, she'd really fit in in Mar-a-Lago. Do you think that's where Samantha is? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, she seems, I mean, if the I don't believe in Democrat or what What did she say? I don't uh, I don't believe in a Democrat or Republican. I just believe in parties. Yeah, like she seems pretty apolitical. So it's like she she could be convinced to do PR for for the Trump organization. Why are we talking about someone that's not going to be in the show? I don't know. Um, what were we talking about, though? Miranda. Miranda. Moanda. Um, Moanda. I loved seeing Moanda in Dries. 
There's a lot of Drees that showed up this week, which we'll get into when we talk about carry yeah. outfits. Because that's, that's the correct designer, and that's like, I don't know, I feel like what she would actually buy. Right. You know? And I think the outfit that she was wearing with the pants were theory pants. So I, I like that they're tr- at least trying to go for semi-approachable designers. It seems like a mixed bag, because there's like very high-end stuff, like, you know, we've seen Charlotte in carrying a Chanel bag and all of that sort of stuff. But there's also been a significant amount of vintage on Carrie specifically. We see her in the Norma Kamali skirt that I talked about. Then there was another outfit that I don't even know how to describe this outfit. It's like the jumpsuit. Yeah, it's a vintage Claude Montana jumpsuit. But it's one of those jumpsuits that kind of has some sort of attached cape but or it, some but sort it's of like attached a, train like the kind of thing that like christian siriano is always making now yeah i was gonna call it a butt cape yeah because it starts at, at the lower back and then she wore it with like a cropped it's a dries jacket, jacket yeah. of some kind and then like a little almost a boy scout hat but not quite it was like a wicker boy scout it seems hat. to be like raffia or something with a little red feather in it and when i saw this look i was like damn on one hand, I was relieved because Carrie's still dressing crazy. And I'd rather have her dress crazy than have her dress pretty, if you know what I mean. But I didn't post this photo on the account because I didn't know a way to talk about it without kind of making fun of it. And like, God forbid, Sarah Jessica Parker like looks at her phone while she's in the outfit and reads it. In her trailer in the Club Montana jumpsuit, just being like, what? Because Gosh. I think... On a podcast, we can have more nuanced discussions about things, but sometimes on Instagram, when you say something sarcastic or tone make light lost, of something, yeah. the tone is lost and it seems more bitchy or critical or aggressive than it actually is. Yeah, because in between the two Carrie outfits we've already spoken about, she had an outfit that was like a long pink coat that felt very subdued for Carrie. So I think we were a tad worried, but it's good to know. Yeah, that felt like very Charlotte. Yeah, it was like a pink three-quarter coat with some sort of pleated white dress underneath that, I don't know, could be Aliyah, could be... Could be Alice and Olivia, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so thank God Carrie is dressing bonkers. We were worried for a second. Yeah. And we mean that in the most respectful way. No, no, we we do. Thank God. What else is there to talk about? I guess most exciting. Stanford? Well, yeah. So there is a, a scene that they shot on Monday where they all seem to have met up for brunch? Lunch? Does this mean we're going to get our wish that Stanford's finally invited <laughs> to brunch with them? I hope so. I hope he finally got that invite. I mean, there's a chair empty. He has not aged a day. Willie Garson, the actor. Yeah, it's actually crazy. He looks exactly the same from the films. He looks like pretty similar to the show, honestly, except that he's gained like the 20 pounds that you gain between your 30s and your 50s, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, those glasses are doing a lot to obscure, I think, any any aging. Also, it's interesting, like I was saying about Walter Van Bierendonk on the last episode, now Stanford is coming into a fashion climate where men are dressing more flamboyantly, and he is the OG, you know? He's been doing this forever. Although his suit in that scene is uh, Paul Smith. I mean, you know, the wardrobe assistants just went to Paul Smith and pulled fucking everything. Sorry, I was just thinking, I'm like, well, if Stanford is invited to brunch now, but then Anthony and him are still married, maybe they switch off. (laughs) 
I don't know. I feel like they're that toxic couple where you have to be with them separately or they just argue. That is true. We've never seen a scene with the two of them together where they aren't having a fight. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I'm ready. And I'm also interested to see like if Anthony's going to get a new direction or if Molly Rogers has just bought like a three pack of black Hanes t-shirts and called it a day. Oh, also, can I just make a, a small note because this has happened a few times? We are not affiliated with In Just Like That. So if you're a designer looking to get your clothing on the show, we are not the people to DM. Oh my God, yes. Some psychotic person DM'd us and was like, hi, I have a company where I sell exotic skin bags. It's like, okay, you lost me there. Hard pass. <laughs> I don't want you to murder some fucking crocodile so that Kristen Davis can have like a, t- a tiny little bag on in one scene on in just like that. No. Also, it's too late. The outfits have been decided, I'm pretty sure. Also, like we don't have an in with Molly Rogers, unfortunately. Molly, if you'd like, <laughs> we'd love to. And if any of her assistants are listening to this, please slide into our DMs. And give us outfit credits. Just give us some information. Like, we won't, like, share it publicly necessarily, but... We'll be, we'll be like Dumois, Anon, please. Anon, please. <laughs> and then I think the last person to talk about would be the new edition. Yeah. Well, we have, we have three new editions, but only one new edition has been seen, been seen, which is Nicole Ari Parker, who had a very fabulous outfit, I thought, for her scene. Yeah, it was Pleats Please by Izzy Miyake. But when I saw her, I was like, what do I know this chick from? And then I realized that I know this chick from a very seminal 90s lesbian teen romance film. I guess we're never going to stop saying seminal. <laughs> We're never, no. Well, this film wasn't seminal in that sense because it was about lesbians. Influential. Yeah, but it was called The Incredibly True Adventure of Two Girls in Love. It was kind of groundbreaking because it was a lesbian film about an interracial relationship. One of the girls, not Nicole Ari Parker, was like pretty butch, which was unique for the time period. And it actually like was a relatively successful independent film. Like it got a theatrical release, unlike most random lesbian movies from the 90s so love her nice to see her again yes she will be playing lisa todd wexley a park avenue mother of three and documentarian so she was seen uh, i mean documentarians love pleats please so very accurate very well done molly rogers they do it's true So she was seen at a scene they were shooting on Tuesday at the Whitney Museum Cafe, which featured all of the girls. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like an empty chair, this fourth seat at any lunch or cafe. Anyone who wants to stop by. It's just a rotating thing. It's like when The View editions new co-hosts. Absolutely. Every day there's someone else. It also feels like you don't watch The Housewives, but they do this whole thing, even though they're hired by Andy Cohen or the producers of these shows, but they have to force a storyline where they have to know one of the girls. Like right. when they invited it, it's like, you know, when Denise Richards came into Beverly Hills, it was like, oh, Lisa Renna and I starred in one film 15 years ago. We get together all the time. You should come to the, you know, you should come to Kyle Richards' uh, clothing store opening. <laughs> this is kind of what uh, I imagine it's going to be. But obviously this character entry point is Charlotte because they're mothers. They're, well, yeah. Also, I'm like, it's at the Whitney. Is Charlotte getting back into art? Like what's happening? <laughs> So what's what's the next character? We have Sharita Shadri, who will play a powerhouse Manhattan real estate broker. Carrie, you need a new place to live? What's going on here? <laughs> Carrie, you need to finally sell the Perry Street apartment? 
And guys, we know it's an apart. It's a fictional address on the Upper East Side. We call it the Perry Street apartment because the exterior is on Perry Street. Just saving us those those seventy two DMs. DMs. Yeah, no, it's true. So. Do you also have a relationship with this actress? <laughs> oh, yes, I have a close personal relationship. No, I do have a relationship because the second I saw her, I was like, oh my God, because I'm a huge Law & Order SVU person. She was in a recent episode that was a rip from the headline episode that was based on the viral New York Times article about the restaurant Prune closing. Wait, we talked about this last week. Did Oh I wait, think no, I, cut think, it. I think I cut it, but we got into a whole protracted conversation. <laughs> Because <laughs> I yet again brought up the fact of like, no one was sexually assaulted in this episode. So who was the special victim? It was just because Mariska Hargitay lived on the block of the fake Prune restaurant. And like in the New York Times article, the woman that owned Prune just decided to close the restaurant. In the SVU version, when the landlords were about to kick her out, she like bought a gun and was like, I'm not fucking leaving, you know? Is that who Shottery is? Yes! (laughs) Serena Shottery plays. So that's like, that's my number one context for her. But it's also because I just saw that well from bobo prune owner to a powerhouse manhattan real estate broker yeah and then lastly we have karen Pittman, who is on everyone's parents other favorite show yellowstone oh the non-madam secretary favorite show <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she'll be playing dr naya wallace a brilliant challenging columbia law professor carrie you getting divorced <laughs> Miranda, are you teaching? Ooh, I like that. I'm going to ask a real dumb, dumb question, but does she have a doctorate in law? How is she a law professor and also a doctor? I don't know. I'm a dumb bitch. Don't (laughs) ask me. (laughs) And I think that's it. Yeah, I think that is it. Uh, oh, and someone DM'd us and was like, I noticed Carrie's not wearing her wedding ring. She is. It's probably Sarah Jessica going from her trailer to, to set or something that she's not. Also, if you, I noticed that one fan account posted like an extremely zoomed in photo of the bracelet that Carrie was wearing when she was wearing the outfit from the first photo that was released. And it said CBP. So at least... In that episode, she is Carrie Bradshaw Preston. I was like, what's CBP? (laughs) None of the husbands have shown up yet. We know they're going to be in it. Yeah, I'm curious to see how intense Chris Noth's spray tan is going to be this time. I think they got the memo. (laughs) Did they? I think it'll be a solid one. (laughs) Yeah, not not, a four. four. Um, That's a little sugar and bronze reference for those who've gone to sugar and bronze. You have to choose what what level spray tan you want from one to four. Doesn't it go to five? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. We don't dare. We're too pale. Yeah, I always just get a two. Anyway, uh, well, you know, we'll be back for color commentary as new set photos come up. All right, moving on to non-Sex in the City things. Emmy nominations came out this week. Yeah, as I told you before we started the podcast, I was like, uh, I'll just tell you what we care about. So it would seem that Emily in Paris is the new Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's because it was nominated for Best Comedy. Right. Well, you know what wasn't? Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Thank fucking God. And it's not because it wouldn't be nominated. I guess it's because the pandemic prevented it from shooting in time to be qualified for this year's Emmys. But I'm just like really fucking psyched on that. Well, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's walk so Emily in Paris could run. (laughs) 
Other things that we care about that were nominated for Best Comedy, Hacks and Pen15. Right. Very excited for Jean Smart. I mean, she's clearly the new Catherine O'Hara. Yes, and I will not have to protest outside of Warner Brothers like I'm trying to bring the uh, AO back because Jean's the OA. OA. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that show was called. And that one guy that was protesting out of Netflix for like six months trying to bring the show back. I drove by him many times. He was there for a long time. And the show never came back. <laughs> anyway, Jean Smart has been nominated for Hacks. I hope she wins. She's nominated against Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish. Allison Janney for Mom, Kaylee Cuoco for The Flight Attendant, which I hear is quite good. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Another HBO Max joint, uh, and Aidy Bryant for Shrill. Just yeah, I love that she she was nominated twice because she was also nominated for SNL. Well, what's crazy is the SNL people, which I guess I never noticed, are nominated in the Best Supporting Actress Comedy category, which feels a little weird to be nominated with people in scripted shows. Yeah, that is weird. And also Bo and Yang, love that for him. MJ Rodriguez was nominated for Pose. Thank God. I mean, she's been like far and away the best actor on that show since the first season. And it's a historic nomination because MJ is the first trans lead to ever be nominated. Yeah, I hope she wins, especially because pretty much everyone else in the category has won major acting awards before and like quite recently, like Olivia Coleman, like Elizabeth Moss, etc., that crown bitch. Emma Corrin? Yeah. Well, she just won a Golden Globe. That's true. I, let's be honest. Th- those kind of British prestige shows are for the Golden Globes. Yeah. But you know who was snubbed? Cynthia for Ratchet. This is unacceptable. Yeah. She was nominated for a Golden Globe, as was Sarah Paulson, I believe. Sarah Paulson was snubbed. I mean, to be fair, the the Best Actress Limited series or TV movie category is pretty stacked. You've got Michaela Cole for I May Destroy You. Right. Cynthia Revo for Genius Aretha. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Olsen for WandaVision. That's nerd shit. Yeah, I, have, I don't know what that is. Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit, which... Another show I refuse to watch, I, much like Maisel. I got about three or four episodes in and I was like, I, I hate this. I actively <laughs> hate this so, so much. But I'm sure La Roach will give her a fabulous outfit. Uh, and then Kate Winslet, of course, was nominated for Mayor of Easttown. Sure. I think it's Michaela Cole's award. Yeah. Our boy Ewan McGregor was nominated for Halston. Oh. Wait, I have to read the category. Like, Who else is in this category? Paul Bettany for WandaVision, Nerd Shit, Hugh Grant, The Undoing, and then Lin-Manuel Miranda for the filmed version of the play Hamilton as well as Leslie Odom Jr. This is just like a conspiracy to keep giving people awards for Hamilton like for the rest of our lives. Like when did Hamilton actually come out and start to win awards and Tonys and stuff? Like wasn't that like six years ago or something at this point? Yeah, weren't you there? Didn't you make a whole point that you were there? I I was there for the Hamilton Tonys. I don't know when that was. It was also the same day as the Pulse Massacre, whenever that was. So that day was a real mixed bag. I don't know how to pivot from a mass murder now. Oh, Handmaid's Tale. I loved how the entire supporting actress in a drama category is literally just the cast of The Handmaid's Tale. It's like four or five of them or something. I mean, I would love to see my girl Madeline Brewer win for her oddly optimistic portrayal of a one-eyed handmaid, but also it's like Anne Dowd's in that category. And you don't watch Handmaid's Tale, but in the last season of Handmaid's Tale, there was a flashback episode with Anne Dowd where she was like, went on a date and was like tried to fuck some guy it was like extremely campy 
No, nothing. You got nothing <laughs> from me. Did you watch the Gossip Girl pilot as I requested? I did, and you're going to be shocked at how I felt about it. Okay, tell me. I didn't mind it. Really? I know. Chelsea's like, this is the stupidest fucking thing ever. And so I went in with that. Okay, great. With that feeling. I'm also someone who, one, was not a fan of the original Gossip Girl. We lived in New York while they were shooting that show, and you would just see the actors out at, like, dark room or pianos or whatever. So I felt no need to actually watch the show. I mean, I watched the first, like, four seasons or something like that, and then I fell off. How many seasons There were many seasons. Let's just say I was, like, seasons away from finding out who Gossip Girl was, although now I know that it's Dan or whatever. Anyway. The novelist? Yes, the novelist. (laughs) Okay, but did you understand any character's motivation? Like, why is Tavi Gossip Girl? Why do the half-sisters have to have a rival? Like, why? Okay, for those who have not watched it and don't plan to, they made the decision to make the teachers, who I guess are being bullied by people half their age, or I guess 10 years younger than them. It's a combination of them being bullied and them just being like, all of these kids are like rich, apathetic, narcissist Instagram people. Like, we can't teach them anything. I mean, true. Yeah, but it's like the solution to that problem isn't then to become Gossip Girl. That's like feeding into their own demented lifestyle, right? Well, also, I went to private school, so I have an understanding of how crazy and intrusive parents are when it comes to like grades, which is the whole inciting incident is that they're back from pandemic. This is definitely a pandemic show. Yeah, they mentioned the pandemic literally four times in the first 10 minutes. It's like, we fucking get it. This takes place after the pandemic. And a teacher is fired for not giving a good enough grade to a student. So they're like, we got to take our power back. But do you know how much these rich parents are going to lose their shit when they learn the teacher are stalking their children. (laughs) I know, right? Also, how is Tavi Gevinson a teacher? Like, she still fully looks like she's 16. I know. When her her casting was announced, I had assumed she was a student. (laughs) Also, on a related note, someone DM'd us and told me that Hannah Einbinder from Hacks is 26, not 35, as I rudely assumed in last week's episode. And I just want to clarify that I made that assumption based on her character and not on her appearance. You can you can stand this in this bad take by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but Tavi looks like she's 16 still. Do you have thoughts on her acting? Because I love her. I'm never going to say a bad word about her. Okay. It seems like she's in a different show than everyone else though. Oh my I don't goodness, know. guys, they're on to us. <laughs> it's a real like Scooby Gang style of acting. Yeah, I haven't I I realize I haven't really seen her in anything else except for I saw her on Broadway. Oh, and This Is Our Youth? Yes, with Michael Sarah and someone else. I love her. I'm always going to be ride or die. So they've set up that the Blair and Serena storyline is these two half-sisters, Zoya and Julian. I mean, I understand that Julian's appearance seems to be gender non-conforming, but is Julian typically a female name? Like, what? I think she's just cool. That is true. Like, I don't really think it's about gender. I think it's more about, like, fashion. So they've hatched this plan that I guess the idea is, because it is a stupid plan, and that's why it immediately goes to shit, which is Julian is this, the most popular girl in school, and it's known that her half-sister will be joining this, this high school. 
and then you learn that they actually don't hate each other, that they're pretending to hate each other to slowly bring Zoya into the uh, popular friend group, which makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Especially because unlike the original Gossip Girl, the group of popular kids is supposed to be woke. So they, in theory, shouldn't be like classist because this isn't a rich character or whatever. They, In theory, they would you would just like embrace the most popular girls have sister. Like that's a no brainer, right? And then also immediately- Also, ju- she's hot. They're both the most gorgeous people I've ever seen. Truly. Every, everyone in this show is the most attractive teenager I've ever seen in my life. And I, as an adult woman, I feel weird talking about this. Yeah, the casting agent was like, I'm just going to find the hottest people. Can we get into like, what in the Gregoraki film is this thruple with the blonde girl and the pink hair guy and the bi guy? I don't know. Also, I don't know. And I, I'm not going to stick around to find out. Yes, you will. This is a 16-year-old that not only can orgasm, which, like, good on you for being 16 and being able to do that, but is so (laughs) evolved in her sexuality that she can't come with her gorgeous pink-haired boyfriend unless she's thinking about the bisexual guy. (laughs) No, I know. Okay, this would be transgressive in a show about 30-year-olds. In a show about 16-year-olds, it feels like science fiction. No, totally. I agree. I agree. I mean, a lot of things feel like science fiction, especially the fashion show. (laughs) I thought that the pilot was directed really, really well. It's directed by Karina Evans, who's known for Drake's God's Plan and Nice for What. And she also okay. directed a couple of Those are episodes. like literally the only two Drake songs I like. Yeah, yeah. And she directed. That and Forever. And she directed a couple episodes of P Valley. So I thought the fashion show was beautifully directed. But it was crazy because it was a Christopher John Rogers show, but with the budget of like a Tommy Hilfiger show or like a Savage Fenty show or something, like the set was insane. The pyrotechnics were insane. <laughs> it was a multi-level fashion show Yeah, that a 16-year-old is headlining. Okay, one, if Julian is as internet famous as Julian is, Julian's not going to school. Julian's like, I'm good. No, she's just finishing out until her senior year so she can be like an influencer full-time did you see mel's cameo no wait where was mel (laughs) okay so mel ottenberg friend of the pod had a it was a blinker you'll miss it cameo he didn't have a line you just see his face like he does some excellent face acting just watching the models walk because I did notice the cameo by uh, Lindsay Peoples Wagner, the former editor-in-chief of Teen, Teen Vogue, current editor of The Cuts. Yeah, she got a line. They should have given Mel a line, though, so he could get that SAG card. We haven't even gotten into the costumes done by Eric Damon, who cut his teeth working with Patricia Field on the original Sex and the City TV series. Yeah, he's he's very, very important. He won an Emmy for his work on Sex and the City. We have heard that he was very hands-on when it came to crafting Carrie's look. And after Sex and the City, he went on to do the costumes for the original Gossip Girl. As well as the Carrie Diaries. And the Carrie Diaries. And now this, but something I didn't know about him that I was fascinated to learn is that he broke into the industry through modeling. He modeled for Steven Mizell a lot in the mid-90s. And Mizell put him on the cover of Luomo Vogue in 1995. And that editorial was the basis for the Calvin Klein basement 
porn campaign that then became like a huge culture wars thing in the 90s because people thought that the models looked like strung out and underage. Oh God, don't let Gen Z get a hold of this <laughs> ad, okay? I know. And then after that point, he, he started styling and he worked with Terry Richardson a lot in the 90s. He assisted Miguel, a drover. Pretty cool. I think the costumes are great. I mean, a yeah. lot a lot of uniform wearing at this point. But it feels contemporary. And it feels like clothing that these characters put together and not necessarily a costume designer put them in. They all have a distinctive sense of style. It's not necessarily like the original Gossip Girl where everyone felt like they were styled to match each other. Although, as, you know? my, as my friend Bree said, she goes, are you having a hard time distinguishing all the male characters? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, Julian's boyfriend and bi guy are like indistinguishable to me. Well, I mean, I can't distinguish them because of my face blindness, but pink hair guy, I can remember. Yeah, Chelsea has facial blindness specifically when it comes to men, white men. It's not specifically when it comes to men. It's, what's it actually called? Prosbagnosia, something like that. It's a it's a neurological disorder where you have trouble identifying people by their faces. So you use other visual cues like their hair, like their voice, like the way they walk, etc. And it's not that I can't tell men apart. It's just that men, because of how sort of uniform the look of men are compared to women, like there's less diversity in terms of hairstyles and stuff like that. It's harder for me to tell men apart. And when I watch a movie that's about cops or people people in the army or that shit it's like I can't I don't know what the fuck is going on yeah I almost broke Chelsea when I I tried to make her distinguish all the different superhero Chris's no I I couldn't and I actually didn't know that I had this until I read an article in Vogue that Lynn Yeager wrote about the fact that she has face blindness so thanks Lynn What a convenient excuse for never remembering people. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's really embarrassing, though, because I can never tell if I've met someone before. And then you're rude if you act like you haven't. And then when you act like you have, people think you're crazy if you haven't. So it's like, it's fucked. Um, Do you know what celebrities say is their shortcut? They just go, nice to see you. That's good. Fuck, I'm going to use that. There you go. All right, we might be back for more Gossip Girl. Who knows? I I don't know if I can do it, but... I will say, so they're seemingly dropping an episode, a new episode each week, which is a good indication of probably how we're going to get and just like that. It probably will be like this and they're going to drop an episode a week. I feel like they have to. They can't blow their load with dropping it all at once. Because I get that's that's important if you if it's a new show that no one's seen and you want to encourage people to binge watch it and yeah. get those numbers up. But if your goal is to like have sustained press and hype and that sort of thing, then it doesn't make sense to do that. Well, Gossip Girl is an hour, and I wonder if with Sex and the City, because it is 30 minutes, if they'll do what they did with Hacks and release two episodes a week. So you get that like bingey feeling, but again, you don't, sorry, this is gross, blow your load. Only I'm t- very triggered by that, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Only time will tell. So I guess I should give a free Britney update since we have been the past few weeks. We're just going to continue on this train until Britney is finally free. Perfect. I, I sort of didn't pay attention to the news around this this week, so catch me up. 
So on Wednesday, Britney Spears appeared virtually during a hearing before the L.A. County Superior Court Judge Brenda Penny. The judge approved that Britney can hire her own attorney after her court-appointed one for the last 13 years was essentially cyber-bullied into stepping down. Her new lawyer is Matthew Rosengart. He represents Steven Spielberg and his production company Amblin Entertainment, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Keanu Reeves. Sean Penn and his nonprofit group, Core, Winona Ryder. He seems to be the... What do you mean? Like, did he do her shoplifting? I, I made sure to look into that. No, that's Mark Garagos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before turning his attention to the entertainment industry, Rosengart served as a federal prosecutor and worked at the Justice Department as an assistant U.S. attorney. So if anyone can free Britney, it's him. Great. So while appearing virtually, Brittany pleaded with the judge that she not only wants her father to be removed from the conservatorship, but charged with conservatorship abuse. Thus far, Jamie Spears refuses to step down. Here, like, honey, it's time. Yeah. Get out before you're dragged out by U.S. Marshals, you know? So he's stepped down as the conservator to her person, but he's still in charge of her finances. And Bessemer Trust, that was the trust company that was handling her finances and is a well-reputed agency, officially stepped down. And the word is because they thought that this was basically consensual. And the fact that it's like when you search... The conservatorship. Yes, that it was all uh, mutually agreed upon. And also, I think, if you're Bessemer Trust and you're handling thousands of people's conservatorships, wills, trusts, what have you, and the first thing you Google is that you're <laughs> torturing Britney Spears, I don't think that's a good look for you. So I think they no. were just like, we're out. But unfortunately, that leaves Jamie Spears as the sole person controlling her finances right now. Ugh. But I feel like Britney could cut him a deal. If she's like, look, you get an expense account and I'll give you 10 grand a month and just go. Yeah. Because the super fuck thing is she's paying for her father's attorney and paying for her father to fight her. So fucked up. And the other conservatorship of her person, Jody Montgomery, requested during this hearing that she would like, she needs security because this whole thing, people have been sending her death threats. So that's also something that Britney's going to have to pay for is one of her conservators' security because those who are fans of Britney and want her free are sending death threats to this This is person. so <laughs> fucked up, honestly. I'm glad that we've seen some movement on this this week for sure. Poor Britney. And then I did see she was doing cartwheels to celebrate or something. Yeah. I, in one report that I read, she was speaking so fast that the judge asked her to slow down because the uh, the court stenographer couldn't keep up with how fast Britney was speaking. Oh, that's got to be a nightmare job. <laughs> I, well, I wonder how they handle the pressure. Of transcribing everything Britney says. I also wonder about the court artists for yeah. like really high profile cases. Like, aren't they scared? Do you think they practice? Like, do you think during the <laughs> Michael Jackson case, like I was practicing drawing Michael? I don't know. Because I feel like the, those drawings were fucked, you know? So maybe they should. All right. Well, good for Britney. Free Britney, baby. Thanks for the update. Absolutely. On to fashion? Sure. This week, my Instagram feed was bombarded with the news that Phoebe Philo is returning to fashion after a three-year hiatus. Wait, what? <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> 
She will be launching a label under her own name. LMVH has a minority stake in the business. Previously, Phoebe was the creative director of Celine for 10 years and at Chloe for five years before that. Are we excited? Of course we are excited. It was first reported by Women's Wear Daily early last year that she was going to be coming back to the fashion fold, that she had been interviewing designers, and then... The yeah, pa- we've been hearing about this forever. And then the pandemic happened, and, and then we thought it was not going to happen anymore yeah so when she stepped down from chloe she took a few years off i didn't realize till i was researching the story that she had been speaking to lvmh during that time about starting her own label and decided to take the celine post instead Hmm. well i get it i mean having your own label is a lot I'm sure it's really fucking hard. <laughs> and I assume the minority stake that LVMH is taking is to help with things like that, with the yeah. finances, distribution. I'm not really here for this discourse, especially put forth by like a diet product or something where it's like, oh, I bet Daniel Lee at Bottega is going to be nervous. It's like she's done something different each time. That's what makes her so influential. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. I mean, since she left Celine, there are a few brands that have risen to the moment to sort of fill the void. And certainly Bottega is one of those brands. Daniel Lee did work under Phoebe Philo at Celine for many years. And Celine should have just promoted him and kept that brand the way it was. They should have learned from a Gucci, a Valentino. Like sometimes you promote from within and the designer that you promote ends up being better than the person that they're replacing. I'm not saying that Daniel Lee is better than Phoebe Philo, but you know what I mean. Which is what happened. It's how Phoebe Philo ended up taking the head designer job at Chloe. She went to Central St. Martin. She was a classmate with Stella McCartney when Stella McCartney was scooped up by Chloe in 98. She was her right-hand woman. And then when Stella left to start her eponymous line in 2001, Phoebe took over. I think that the strongest Chloe collections were the later era ones with Stella and Phoebe. Although I loved Phoebe's collections for Chloe. I was going to say, to me, the collections between 2003 and 2004 are some of the strongest, right? So like spring, summer, 2003. These are Phoebe Philo Chloe collections, right? That gauzy white separates. I haven't gone back and looked at any of it. Well, the fall winter 2003 was the 45th anniversary of Chloe. It's that rock and roll collection. And then the spring collection after that is that braided denim. Okay, yeah, that was classic. And the banana prints, yeah. The banana print dress was amazing. I actually still have a Chloe cuff that's like shaped like a lion that's from that Phoebe arrow that I bought at the first sample sale I ever went to in New York. And it's probably the only thing I still have from... My late teens, which were not this bougie, by the way. This was very much a fluke of a purchase for me. Going back, Philo said in a brief statement that being in my studio making once again has been both exciting and incredibly fulfilling. I'm very much looking forward to being back in touch with my audience and people everywhere. To be independent, to govern and experiment on my own terms is hugely significant to me. I sort of predict she's not going to show on a normal fashion calendar and release capsule drops when she feels like it. I don't know. We'll see. I hope that they don't do the Celine thing again where they don't have e-commerce because I find that to be really pretentious and shitty. If I had to guess, just looking at her previous work, and especially the fact that she willingly stepped down from Chloe. She wanted to spend more time with her younger children. She stepped down from Celine. I think she is looking at the fashion system holistically and is going to design towards that, including hopefully e-commerce. 
No, a thousand percent. I mean, I'm happy that she's starting her own brand because she shouldn't have to interpret the work of another designer. She's already proved herself. She's already changed the way that women dress on a mass scale. Like she is the Coco Chanel of our time already. Yeah, I was going to say that not since Armani in the 80s, did you see someone making a statement on like what a refined modern woman's uniform was? Totally. And Celine was kind of the perfect gig for her, although it was a hair label because it had such a lack of identity that she could kind of just make it into whatever she wanted to didn't did McQueen design for Celine or am I making this up no who Michael Michael Kors did I don't remember there is a revolving door of people that designed for Celine but I don't I don't remember what that is we do really need to make an infographic that explains like the timelines of all of this shit and we should say Eddie Slimane is designing for Celine today right and took the accent off Celine I don't yeah. know. I don't know why he has to do this with every well, because <laughs> venerable cause... French house he's had. <laughs> like, why? I know it is really weird. Yeah, I wonder if her brand is going to be a continuation of Celine, or if she's going to have a new vibe. Celine made her the queen of minimalism, but a lot of the pieces weren't minimalist at all like those furry shoes like those brush stroke print dresses she could go more into that direction potentially but I was thinking about it I was like what of the Celine era I was like what are the most iconic moments that she had there and I think it's the scarf print shirt that Kanye wore at Coachella right yeah the Joan Didion ad I mean guys this woman convinced Joan Didion <laughs> to appear in a fashion ad. I know. The luggage tote, which has subsequently been worn by every single rich woman on a network TV drama. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and this one isn't, isn't really Celine at all, but it was the time that she took her bow at the end of a show wearing Stan Smith's. And then literally the next day, like, every girl in fashion bought Stan Smith. It's like I left the house like the next Monday and it was like a different New York. It was crazy. But also I think like the styling of her shows were really unique and really widely copied. Like I love how the models were always like carrying these oversized clutches that they were like holding against them like they're protecting their firstborn from a pack of rabid dogs or something. Or it's like a life vest on the Titanic. <laughs> no, a thousand percent. It's also weird shit. It's like the the jackets are always falling off people's shoulders or like the models are dragging blankets down the runway. And it was just like a very, very specific vibe. Well, we will keep you updated, although we probably won't hear or see anything until 2022. Yeah, there's no time frame for any of this, by the way, so... Moving on, do we want to get into Pierre Moss? Yeah. This week, Pierre Moss debuted their first couture show held in upstate New York at the regal estate of C.J. Walker, who was the first black female millionaire in the United States. The show was a celebration of black excellence with each model's ensemble inspired by a different element of black innovation, from peanut butter to traffic lights, bicycles, and bottle caps. Everyone seemingly lost their mind over this collection. Chelsea, what did you think? (laughs) I mean... I think the concept behind the collection was powerful. You know, this is a show about a facet of black history that is certainly worth celebrating, but I don't think that the clothes themselves lived up to that message. To me, it felt a bit obvious and was clearly designed with Instagram in mind, much like the recent Victor and Rolf couture shows that we were making fun of last week. I mean, it just wasn't that inventive, ironically, because... 
he didn't really translate these objects into fashion. He literally just dressed the models as objects. Like instead of making a print out of the traffic lights, it's like, I'm going to make this model a traffic light with legs. And not a particularly well-constructed traffic light, if I may say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the lookbook images were stronger. I watched the entire video of the show, and I think that the construction issues are definitely more apparent in person. But what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I've seen everyone kind of, as I said in the introduction of this, freak the fuck out about this collection. And I find what's missing from the discourse is absolutely this Pierre Moss show and showing a couture collection is important. I think that the runway presentation itself was inspired, but the collection was not good. And those are things that can coexist. And I feel like that's what's missing from the conversations. Like the concept can be valid. The fact that he is uh, the first black designer showing a couture collection, which we'll get into in a second. He's the first black American designer. Okay, so that's why... Because, I mean, just even recently, Olivier Roustein has done couture for Balmain. Yeah. That's not true. But American, yes. And it's on the couture schedule. It's not a haute couture collection. But whatever. I can get into that in a, in a minute. Right. And I think that is important. But it's also okay to, to say that the collection is maybe not so good. Well, look, I'm not offended by these types of clothes. Like a lot of designers have successfully made clothes like this. Franco Moschino comes to mind. Patrick Kelly comes to mind. Jean-Charles de Castelbajac comes to mind. You know, Jeremy Scott being a more contemporary example. But again, it's like I don't think the ideas really lived up to those designers. Yeah, I like the concept of the show, but I even think that Kirby, the designer, Pierre Moss, would say that this is more an idea than an actual thesis about clothing. Yeah, it definitely succeeded as a broader statement, but just when you boil it down to the individual elements, it's like, no. Although I did like one of the looks, which was like a, it was kind of like a smoking jacket that he turned into a gown, and then the model was wearing rollers, like hair rollers that extended from the model's scalp all the way down to the floor kind of like a cape that was fab i mean that is clearly going to be probably one of the rare outfits that is on the met red carpet do you know what i mean like usually it's a designer designing something for the met but i could see that directly being transposed on zendaya or something maybe on zendaya it only really makes sense on a model i think because it's so crazy like in a non-camp met gala context like i feel like that would be really like wacky Did you see this interview he did with CNN where he said that they scrapped the first concept entirely and then his team based the collection on research they did? Oh God, what was the first concept? I know. Then they based the collection on research they did the U.S. Library of Congress Archive of Inventions and then also an outing in Joshua Tree where they did ayahuasca. Yeah, no, I I missed all of this. Also, I feel like there's a lot of misinformation spreading online about this being haute couture, which it isn't. It is couture. Couture connotes custom, made to measure, potentially one of a kind, etc. Whereas 
haute couture has very specific rules, which are dictated by the CFDA of France, basically, that defines and enforces what haute couture is. And there's a ton of fucking rules, like things need to be made by hand using specific techniques, and machines can only be used for specific things, and ateliers have to have a certain amount of employees, and you can only sell a certain number of each piece, and it can't be in overlapping territories, and like shit like that. So this isn't that. What this is, is the Chambre Syndicale de la Haute Couture, which is, like I said, this trade organization. They're also the people that create the schedule for Paris Couture Week. They've invited him to be part of it, but that doesn't mean it's Haute Couture. Am I making any sense? No, you are. Because like this organization also like governs ready to wear and stuff like that. So it's more like... It, symbolic. It, it sounds like the mafia of, of French fashion. It kind of is the mafia. Well, I think even he would say that this collection is beyond couture because none of this is going to be sold. I mean, it is going to be sold, but as is in a gallery in Chelsea. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Look, I think he's capable of more than this. I think a lot of critics are distressed by the fact that that one collection that he did that was very much about police brutality was overlooked and wasn't really given the attention at the time that it deserved. Wasn't that his first runway collection in 2015? I I don't know if it was his first or whatever. And now it's like pieces from that show are going to be like included in the Met exhibit. And I think people are kind of like, oh, we we fucked up, which is fair. But that doesn't mean that you have to say that the lampshade dress is elegant on Twitter. Like you're crazy. That looks like that Sky Mall lamp. Well, when you describe it that way, now I think I like it. (laughs) Moving on. Do we have anything to move on to? Are we doing the Kardashians this week or are we not? Let's attempt it. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. (laughs) Not not a lot of Kardashian stuff. I mean, there's... Kate Moss was in a Skims campaign. Which would explain why they were at the Vatican together palling around. I mean, I think the paparazzi photos of them from the Vatican were more compelling than these photos, although Kate does look amazing. Of course. But within the body of like Kate Moss's modeling work, I'm naturally just not like wowed by this just because it, it is very commercial and like e y But to be fair, who's giving Kate Moss campaigns these days? Yeah. In a deleted scene from the Kardashians that got released, so that should tell you how unimportant it is that it didn't even make it into the main show, which will put anything into it. Uh, <laughs> Kim talks about how the quarantine has made her feel agoraphobic again. She was relaying that after the 2016 Paris robbery that she became agoraphobic and didn't want to leave her house. I wouldn't want to leave that house either. I would do some women, woman in the window shit in that house. Around 2020, she started to feel like she wanted to go out again. And then the pandemic happened. I mean, it would be stressful, like going to Nobu, Malibu with Kanye and having tons of girls want selfies and be like, bitch, like, I don't want coronavirus. But she did get COVID. Yeah, that's maybe she got it from Nobu, Malibu. And she took all her friends to an island for her 40th birthday. What are you talking about? That she's <laughs> leaving the house. Yeah, that's true. And then there's a whole to-do about Kravis. It would be Courtney and Travis. Barker, not Scott. 
<laughs> went to a UFC match and, you know, made out tongues wagging. Wearing like mat- matching leather outfits. And Courtney's hairstylist commented on a photo. Now I see why people get married in Vegas, which led people to think maybe they got married. I saw the screenshot of it on the Daily Mail. And I thought like that could really be interpreted. Yeah, that there's, either way. they're so in love and you're yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. I don't think that was confirmation. But then I guess... Travis's daughter posted a photo of them on her stories and was like so happy for you two. I think she's trolling. She seems like a real trolly 15 year old. Does she? Yeah. I don't think they're engaged because I think that. Let alone married. I think that Travis is going to pull out all the stops with the proposal because he knows that like Kanye got a bunch of violinists to play young and beautiful in an empty stadium or something. How did Kanye propose? Yeah, at a a sports stadium. I think they're going to be so extra. They're going to pull the Britney Spears, Kevin Federline thing, which is you don't even hear that they're engaged. Everyone just goes to Courtney's house and there's a wedding set up. But we'll know when Jeff Lethem starts hauling in like 50 tons of black roses. We'll know. And Courtney is especially going to make sure that it's not featured on the new Hulu show just to fuck with Chris. (laughs) It's so beautiful, Courtney, but why wouldn't you let us film this? I'm whatever. I I continue to be into them as a couple. Yeah, we've really done a a, a 180 on Courtney. We started this podcast disliking Courtney and... um, Well, that happens with all the Kardashians. I feel like I go back and forth at some point, except for Chris. I always like Chris. What's your current ra- ranking right now? I think it's Chris, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, Courtney, Kylie, Rob, Caitlin. No, we're not including them. Um, I, Chris- Mason. <laughs> I'm just gonna go down the hole. Penelope, Rain. Um, <laughs> Actually, Rain is number. No, no. Who's my number one? Child. I think it's Saint. This is weird that we're ranking them, but I would say Chris, Courtney, Kim. Kendall, Chloe, Kylie. Yeah, see, I still like Chloe. Chloe's fallen down the list. Courtney is. Courtney does feel more relevant than, yeah, no, than Chloe. Courtney's giving us content with a K. Yeah. <laughs> and Kim is eternal. And I, you know, I'm really into all of Kendall's fit picks. So that's why she's third on my list, or fourth if we're including Chris. Sure. Chris is just always number one, will be number one. Well, Chris is all of them. Chris is like the citizen. Chris is a part of all of them. Chris is like the Citizen Kane of movies. Like, we need to take it off the list so that other people can get to number one. (laughs) Totally. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed what seems to be a very deranged episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering about this. I'm wondering about this. Was this a good idea? Oh, absolutely not. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.